The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, hey, uh, it looks like we got some people standing in the back and stuff, so if there's a way that you guys could scoot in anywhere, that would be really helpful. Um, If you're in the back looking for a seat, we've got some empty seats down front. I'll spit this way today, so you got like a whole clean row that will not be in the splash zone if you want to use that. Um, Welcome to Heritage, and uh, I got a couple of announcements here. Um, First of all, last week, you may remember, those of you that were with us, we unveiled our uh, kind of our new leadership structure at the church and uh, introduced you guys to the candidates for the new shepherding elder program here at Heritage. And there was one couple who was not able to be with us last week, so we wanted to uh, just bring Mike and Rachel up and introduce you to them too. The Potters have been a part of our church for a really long time. Good friends. Mike is a, uh, I guess you'd say semi-retired part-time neurosurgeon. Did you know you could be a part-time neurosurgeon? I didn't know that, but apparently you can. And uh, they're really involved here at the church in everything from helping with security to uh, the communion set up every Wednesday. And when we uh, do communion at the first Sunday of every month here, which by the way, he said he desperately needs help with that. So uh, if anyone here would like to be a part of that, that's a, that's a really cool, great opportunity to be able to serve and being, you know, preparing the elements for communion for the body is a great thing. So grab these guys. Um, but they are also, uh, Mike in particular, is a uh, candidate for the uh, Shepherding Elder Program. So we want to be able to introduce them to you. Thank you guys for coming up and uh, um, being on stage all by yourselves this time. Um, thank you guys. <clears throat> um, and just a reminder... Um, we gave the cards out last week of all the, the men who are in that program right now. And uh, if there are things that you're aware of of them or things that we need to know, we want to be able to vet our shepherds and vet our leaders. So um, if you missed that, these cards are available, I believe, at the information table on your way out. You could pick one of those up. And if for no other reason than just to be able to pray for these men and pray for our church as we move forward in that. A um, couple of other announcements. You guys remember the Heritage Milestone program we've just started for our kids and our families? Well, milestone number one, which is parent-child dedication, is coming up really, really soon. Um, Those dedications are going to be held two times a year, and uh, March 13th will be the child dedications coming up next. So there's a uh, a class that we want all those families to participate in and be a part of in advance of that. So uh, if you are in that category, you got a kid um, that should be here by then, or or your child has already been born and you'd like to be part of this program, step one is coming up. So sign-ups on that start today. Today, So make sure you get involved in that. Um, I'm sure uh, you can get, I I didn't ask Brent where the info on that is. So maybe the information table or in the children's ministry or website would be able to help you with that. Uh, Men, April 1st through the 3rd, mark your calendar. Um, April 1st through the 3rd, the Acts 29 Man Camp up at Washington Family Ranch. It's going to be a great, great time. Um, Really looking forward to being a part of that. I want to get to know some more of you guys as we make a trip out east. Um, Also, the Heritage Food Pantry. Um, the fourth Sunday, which is today, is the drop. So the drop off is today. Is that correct? Yes, they're dropping food off today. So is that, is that normal? I don't know things anymore. Is that the fourth Sunday of every month we do that? Okay, so on the fourth Sunday of every month, bring food, and it goes to the Heritage Food Pantry to minister to families, and, and not just within our church body, but within the community. Um, and that's all. So do me a favor, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. 
If you do not have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high, and we'll make sure that you get one. There's gentlemen coming down the aisles with them right now, um, so that you can kind of track along with us. And uh, we do believe that that is important to be able to read along with the Word of God with us. If you don't own a Bible, this is a gift to you. So we pray that the Lord would just bless you through it and be able to teach you and um, more and more about Him and His plan for your life and, and about His goodness and grace. But we're going to be in Hebrews today, chapter 10, and we'll be starting in verse 19, way near the back. It's about right there, if you're looking for it, about an eighth of an inch from the end, depending on your font size, of course. <clears throat> and uh, we are in the, let me open up in prayer before we even get into this, shall we? Um, Lord, I just beg of your grace this morning. Um, Lord, this, is, uh, this morning and this series has is, is been something that we've been doing here as a church, um, and we've been on our knees a lot because of it, Lord, which is a good place to be. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the things that you bring us through that humble us, that bring us to our knees, that bring us to a place where, where we seek your will and we seek your direction and we seek your grace and your, your um, just ability to sustain us. And so, Lord, this morning as we look at this topic as the family of God, and in particular, Lord, the heritage family here, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, that you would just minister through your word, that you would grow and protect your church, and that you would be glorified in everything that we do, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' holy, precious name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we are almost done with a, a little series that we've been doing. Um, we got one more week next week. We'll be closing this out on the marks of a healthy church. And um, I, I, I hope it's been beneficial to you. It's really important, whatever your style might be in terms of the things that maybe you're drawn to in Bible study. I'll, I'll give you full confession right now. Series like this not my strong suit, not what I like to do, not something that brings me great joy. It actually tends to fill me with great angst. Um, I'm one, let, like, let's just go to a text and just keep going through the word. Um, I actually think that's to some degree easier because you're just going through the word, letting the word speak. Um, but when you're together, the body of Christ, like there are times where things come up that you need to take a season to say, hey, let's, let's look at these things together. Let's address some of these things together. And, and the stuff that we've been looking at the last two weeks, this week and next week are things that we as a leadership here at the church have been dealing with, um, walking through praying over, planning, and preparing for a really long time. Um, this one in particular, two years in the making almost. So these are really important. So um, if, if you're like, man, I just want to get back to Ephesians. Can we get out of this stuff? I just want to go back to Ephesians. Let me, let me assure you, me too. <laughs> me too. I cannot wait to go right back into Ephesians 5, like I said. And, and I am anxious and excited for a good long season of just going through Ephesians, getting into Philippians. Man, there's some great stuff in there. Like, I'm excited for that. Amen? But the things that we're looking at are important. And, and even if you're not involved with them, so for example, leadership last week, it is important that you, the church, 
parts of members of the church understand the things that are going on. It's important for our accountability so that we are open and accountable to you for the things that we do and the way that we lead. This is really important stuff. And today's in particular, I'm urging and begging for your grace and your attention as we walk through this one today. The first week, we talked about what are the marks of a healthy church, and we talked about the fact that a healthy church communicates and participates. And those of you that were here, we unrolled a complete, um, not just financial report where we talked numbers and dollars and how funds were spent and all that, but, but also just what the Lord has been doing through our church, what some of the challenges were, what the Lord has done, and it was a great celebration. If you missed that, it's available on our website, as is the financial report and those things. I urge you, go take a look at that. Um, last week, we talked about a healthy church has healthy leadership. And that's when we talked about the reality that in a growing church, having seven elders, which is the board of directors, we're just not able to care for and minister to and shepherd the flock that God's brought here in the way that is needed. And so we, we started realizing our failings all over the place as we were growing. And, and so the Lord's just done a new thing. And so we've expanded our leadership team here and created a, a board of shepherding elders that are dedicated and focused on just caring for the flock, praying for you, ministering to you. And we introduced the men who are the candidates for that first program. And uh, we're excited as we move forward to get that up and running, see what we're doing. There's already names even that come up that we're like, oh, you know who'd be great to be a part of that too? So-and-so and so-and-so. And And so if you didn't get picked and you're feeling left out, then uh, sorry, but we are looking to expand that as we move forward once we actually figure out the details of what we're even doing with this board. So we're just excited about what that's going to do to minister to the flock. Next week, we'll be closing the series out by the marks of a healthy church being a healthy church has a healthy heart. And so we'll be talking about like in light of things, whether they're changes in structure or programs at the church or whether they're changes in the climate around us and all the things going on, how do we maintain a healthy heart? And what are these things that we're like, no matter what goes on around us, man, we have got to stay committed to these things. We have got to protect our heart in these ways. And it's going to be a good, healthy closure to the season that we're in right now. Today, we're going to talk about you. Last week was leadership, the week before the successes, communication, and really up to now, it's been mostly about the leadership of the church, which today we'll touch on as well. But, but the topic today is that a healthy church has healthy members. This is what we're talking about today. And I'm really excited to share this stuff. I, I feel passionately about the things that the Lord has been doing. Um, like I said, this is not in our DNA normally. We are normally a let's go to the next book of the Bible and keep going. I'm really excited to do that. This is so important. And so good, I believe, for us as a church to be able to look at these things. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 as our kind of launching point to talk about this. The book of Hebrews is a fantastic, deep, rich, heavy, meaty book that was written to encourage the church as it was heading into difficult times and heading into trials, to encourage them to persevere in their doctrine, to persevere in their beliefs, to persevere and push forward no matter what would come its way. And the way that the church, or excuse me, the way the author does this is it's reminding the church continually about the supremacy and the work of Jesus Christ. That no matter what comes your way, know what Christ has done for you. Know who Christ is. Know where you stand in Christ because that is the basis for everything. 
And so, too, here at the church, we're constantly going back to and reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel assures us that, hey, look, we are sinners. We are broken. We have fallen so far short of what God has called us to. Our rebellion, our sin has alienated us from God and has destined us towards an eternity apart from him. But God is good. Amen, church? God is good and he's so gracious. And instead of just looking down on us and saying, hey, get your act together, Jeff. Dude, come on. I I wrote it in a book for you. Just do it, man. Come on. And if you pull this stuff off, then I'll let you back in the club. And that's what he could have done. It's probably what he should have done, at least the way that we tend to look at things sometimes. But his approach was so different. He looked down with mercy on people like me and said, Jeff's never, he he isn't even capable of living the type of righteous life because he has fallen, he's broken, he is a sinner. And so instead of like setting a bar and waiting for me to climb over it, the Lord came into our history, if you will. He injected himself into the promise, what the incarnation's all about. He came to us and he said, here's what I'm gonna do, Jeff. I'm gonna live the life for you that you could never do. And so Jesus Christ comes to earth, born in that manger, and lives that perfect, sinless life. He doesn't fall to any of the temptations and trappings that we fall to all the time. But then he went to the cross on our behalf, where not only did he live the life that was necessary for us, but then he died the death that we deserved and had earned by our sinful behavior. And Christ goes to the cross and the Lord poured out all of the wrath and all of the punishment of a sinful world upon him. And he died for our sin in our place, the punishment we deserved. But God is good and he's powerful. Amen, church? He defeated sin. He rose from the grave. He has now ascended into heaven where he is now an advocate for those who would just simply put their faith in him. And so we are Christians We are followers of Christ. We are, as we sang, children of God, not because we pulled something off. We're children of God because Jesus Christ pulled something off on our behalf. And he said, hey, Jeff, put your faith in me. Trust me, Jeff. I'm your covering. I'm your savior. I'm your Lord. And that is the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ. And then the best part is that, and Jeff, not only are you saved and you get to go to heaven one day, but I am making all things new. I'm changing you, Jeff. I'm doing a work in your life. I'm making you more and more and more into the image of my son. And one day, this fallen, broken world is going to be remade. Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem will appear. There's, it's going to be the way it was always supposed to be before sin entered into the world. And I don't know about you guys, I can't wait. Amen? Cannot wait until that day. But right now, we, the church, live in the in-between. We've been saved, we've been forgiven, we're being changed. We're not to heaven yet, but that's the direction that we're going. And so God in his mercy gave us his word, not just to teach us about him, but also to help us and instruct us and direct us about just how to get through life, how to accomplish God's mission, and how to go through this process of change that the Lord's doing in our lives. And so the book of Hebrews is one of the books that's written to that degree, saying, listen, in light of who God is, Jesus Christ is your great temple. Jesus Christ is your high priest. Jesus Christ is our eternal sacrifice. And because of his grace, 
And then the text moves forward and says, here's what we should look at. And so take a look, for example, in verse 19. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, one of the things that makes this particular series a little more burdensome for me, and maybe for you if you're sort of wired like me in terms of what you like out of a Bible study, um, is the fact that we're actually sort of coming out of back-to-back series. Um, in December, we took time to, to celebrate Advent and to walk through um, kind of the old church style of remembering that Christ has come and looking forward to the return of Christ. And if you guys remember the last week, which was our, our last service in 2015, we looked at the second coming of Christ. I mean, Jesus didn't just come once, but he also promises, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. If, I'm, if I go, I will come again. I'm going to make all things new. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The scriptures say he's coming again. Church, he's coming again. Amen? Amen. He's coming again. Um, and the Bible has a lot of things to say in different places about what the world sort of looks like. He's very clear. No one knows the day. But there are characteristics and there are marks of what the world's going to look like in that day. And so we spent some time, you guys remember, we spent some time looking at some of that. It was a whole year ago, right? It was like 2015. But, but that's what we did. We spent some time looking kind of at the world as a whole. And one thing we can say is that the world looks now a lot like the way Scripture describes the world. Now, I know people go, you you Christians have been saying this stuff forever, but it's true. But no matter what, we are absolutely one day today closer to the return of Christ than we were yesterday, are we not? And so as we looked at those characteristics, we looked at the fact, the the issue of, as the scripture calls it, wars and rumors of war. Like I remember, maybe it was just because I was younger and I didn't pay attention to all the events going on in the world, but it seemed like there were always like one major conflict and then that would die down. And then we had another one and then that would die down. You know, you had Vietnam, you had the Cold War, and then we had Libya. Remember Libya and that guy? There was always like a thing. Now it just seems there's like 20 different things always going at the same time. Just war is part of the existence of the world now at a way that maybe we just weren't aware of before, but it certainly looks that way today. Amen. And, and then you've got issues of hostility in the Middle East, which we don't need to talk about very much. Everyone should be aware of that if you have eyes or ears. Um, and then also um, potential uh, possibilities for one world government, some of the things, the way the world is being governed and orchestrated, earthquakes, natu- uh, natural disasters. Um, at, that, at that point, that was right after Christmas. Remember there were tornadoes at Christmas in Texas? That was just a really weird thing to think of. Um, now we got blizzards uh, in, in the East Coast. My mom is one of many who are stuck in these snow storms. It's just, the the world is just more and more, as you look at it, increasingly looks like the way the Bible described the season, the way it would look when Christ returns. And it does it to say, hey, be ready. 
But, but it doesn't just talk about world events. It also talks about, um, maybe we would refer to it as cultural, but, but I'll just say human depravity or human, um, the, the way we as people think, act, and behave. It does this in the book of Timothy. I've got the text here, if you guys could put it up for him. 2 Timothy 3 says this, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Does that sound like the world we live in today? If you have a social media account, you know that this describes the world today, right? I mean, this is just the way the world looks. And again, maybe we're more aware of it now because the news outlets and social media and the internet puts these things in front of us to a degree that we've never seen before. But it is inarguable that the things that the Bible describes that look like the times when Christ will return, they look like this. It's inarguable. It looks, whatever your theology is, oh, pre-trib, post-trib, I don't care. It's clear this is what the world looks like, Amen. Well, in the book of Hebrews, the author here, on the back end of declaring the gospel to an incredible and deep and great degree, comes in and says, beginning here in Hebrews 10, he says, hey, knowing these things, in light of what Christ has done for us, in light of the gospel, here's some things, church, make sure, be aware of, as you're moving forward into times of difficulty, into these last days, there's some things I want you, church, to make sure you're doing and focusing on and pursuing. And they're right here in our text in chapter 10. So for example, verse 22, the very beginning, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So number one would be moving towards this. What would the Hebrews urge the church to do? Hey, draw nearer to God than you've ever drawn before. Now, God is with us always, amen? But we've been through seasons. Every Christian has. And our our trajectory towards God is not a straight line. There's seasons of dip. There's seasons of failure. Everyone struggles with sin. Everyone struggles with doubt. There are always seasons. But but Hebrews is encouraging us, hey, listen, in light of what you know and in light of what I know is coming, listen, if there was ever a time that I could encourage you, Jeff, draw near to the Lord, man. Be near him. Spend time with him. Be in prayer. Be in the word. Jeff, listen, there are things in your life that are coming and you need this. You need to lean on God in a way that you have never leaned on him before. And so that letter written to the Hebrews maybe then is now given to us by that same Holy Spirit. So this is what he would say. Hey, Heritage, Heritage family, those of you that are visiting, man, we're, we're really blessed that you're here. You picked a little bit of a weird week to come, so you have to come back a couple more times, okay? But um, you're listening in on a family meeting is what you're doing today. You're listening in on a family meeting. I don't say that in any way to exclude you from anything that's going on. Um, but the true heart of this message, Heritage family, listen to me. There's stuff coming in life, in the culture, in the world that's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. 
And so if I can say, by the grace of God, echo the words of the Holy Spirit here in Hebrews, listen, draw near to God. Some of you have drifted away. Some of you aren't as close right now as you've been before. And, and by God's grace, let me urge you, draw near to the Lord. You need this. It is good for you. It's not legalistic. You better get near the Lord or he's going to be angry. No, this is the Lord saying, listen, there are things coming in your life. One day you're going to need him. And draw near. Be with him. Be ready for the storms that come. Lean on him in times of good and in times of bad. Draw near the Lord. And so maybe that's a word for you. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I've just been going through the motions lately. I haven't really, my Bible's collecting a lot of dust. I haven't really been doing a whole lot. Then let me urge you, church, heritage family, draw near. Draw near to the Lord. Number two, pursue holiness. The second part of verse 22 says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now there's, there's two things to emphasize on here. Number one, those who have put their faith in Christ positionally have been washed, the scriptures say, white as snow. You are, in God's eyes, clean, perfected, and holy. Amen? But does that mean we don't sin? Does that mean we don't struggle with things? I mean, when we take a shower and then go to work during the day, do we not tend to get a little dirty as we're navigating just the world and life in general? Let me urge you, church, don't just draw near to God, but pursue holiness. Pursue God's word. Go to the Lord, not just to draw near so that you have some sort of helper that's around you. Like I'm talking about draw near to the Lord that you might be more like him. That we might be to a greater and greater degree every day, closer, not, not caught up in the junk of this world that wants to trap us up, trip us up, and destroy us. Draw near to the Lord and pursue God's character. As you read the scriptures and you're learning about him, his grace, his holiness, don't stop with just celebrating that that's who God is. Push through that and go even further to say, and that's who God desires me to be as well. Pursue holiness. Number three, hold on to what you believe no matter what's changing around us. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then continuing on, what does he say? Verse 23, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hey, church, as you draw near to the Lord, as you're opening up the word, as you're learning about who God is, what he's done, what he promises to do, and what he desires you to be like, you're going to hear all sorts of voices coming from other directions that are going, that is a bunch of baloney. That, what do you mean? What do you mean? It, born of a virgin? Come on, you guys don't really believe that. Jesus coming again, like through the skies and all this stuff you read about, you don't really, really believe that stuff, right? I mean, people have been believing that for years and the world just keeps going the way it is. And, and listen, you young people, if you want to go anywhere in life, you're going to have to buy into the things the world is teaching because the stuff you learned in church is just your parents' old school, old timey. Uh, it doesn't, it's not even relevant anymore. It's like a myth. You'd be better off chasing Bigfoot than this. And the Bible says, listen. Hold fast to what you believe. God is faithful. He's faithful. 
God will not make a fool of you. And so when those things come, even in seasons where you're like, I don't, I don't have an answer for this. Man, these people are coming with these attacks about science or they're coming with politics or, or human rights things and, and it seems to strike right at the very core of some of the things I believe and I don't know how to answer these things. I don't know what to say. Hold fast to your faith. And if you hold fast to anything, hold fast to the truth that Jesus Christ came, died for your sins, rose again, loves you deeply, and is coming back for you again. Hold fast to the gospel. Do not waver. No matter what's coming, things change all around us. Do not change. Hold fast to the confession of faith. Amen, church? And then there's this one, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir, one, uh, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, you see the day drawing near. You know it's closer than ever. You know the world looks like this. You, you know these things are coming. So church, now more than ever before, what does he say? Church, be the church. Like more than ever, be the church. Gather together. Don't use these times to fail to gather together as the church. The corporate gatherings, gathering with one another in your homes. But do not forsake gathering together, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, building one another up. Listen, church, now more than ever, be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me ask you, are we succeeding at this? Is the Western church as a whole succeeding at this? Like we've been talking more on an individual level with some of those other things, but he's bringing it to a corporate level now. He's bringing it to a, hey, church body, encourage one another, serve one another, be committed to one another, love one another, now more than, you, more than ever before. And so what does the church look like to you? Not just this church, but the church overall. What does that look like to you in this day? Does it look like it's headed that direction? I don't know about you guys, I have a picture here. This is the church that I grew up in. Could you guys put this up there? This is Merriman Avenue Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. This is the church that I grew up in. And, and though I love this church, there were a lot of things about this church that, that I would consider, um, especially now as a pastor with my 2020 vision and my occasional cynicism and critiqueness and all that kind of stuff. But there were things about the church that I think were, were um, unhelpful and unhealthy. Um, one of them was there were, this church had a lot of legalistic views about a lot of things. And, and so you didn't feel like you felt like you had to toe a certain line in order to fit in and be part of the church. And if anyone fell in any way whatsoever, it was like, <gasps> and you know what I mean? It was almost like the source of gossip. And, and so what that created was rather than a, a, a environment where people felt that they were leaning on the holiness of God, I felt in a lot of places, it felt like you were leaning on your own holiness and how hiding all your shortcomings everywhere else because you're worried what people would think of you. Um, and this happened a lot even, uh, or especially I should say, um, in the youth group I grew up in. And may, maybe I was just more of aware of it because, you know, you're moving into high school and you're kind of becoming an adult. And so you start to become aware of things that you just were ignorant to as a kid. 
Um, but the youth group I grew up in was very uh, moralistic, uh, moral teachings. Here's how to be a good boy. Here's how to be a good girl. Christians do this. Christians don't do this. And it was, all, it was everything from um, the evils of rock music and backward masking. Do you guys remember that? Now, young people don't have a clue what that is anymore because we have files now. We don't have actual records, but used to people. Music got played on these flat black things that spin around in circles. Um, and, and your parents always yelled at you as a kid. You're scratching it. Pick it straight up. Pick the needle straight up. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, and, and there was this belief then that if you get some of the, the secular bands, Led Zeppelin comes to mind. There might have been a Beatles one. I can't remember. And then you, if you play the record backwards, then you can hear these like satanic messages built into them, which was just, it's absurd. It's absurd. It's not true. There are all sorts of evils and all sorts of rock music. Backward masking just isn't one of them. But it was unbelievable how much time um, in the youth group I grew up in got pushed into things like that. Hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And did it fix us? <laughs> no. You, you know what it did? It made me really sneaky. There was, a, there was a rock band back in the day called White Snake. Anyone remember White Snake? So um, believe it or not, a few years ago, White Snake's drummer was on our stage at Heritage as part of the worship team visiting with some friends coming through town and led worship here. Just a, a great, great guy. And uh, I, I, I came up to him after service and I was like, do you have any idea how many copies of your cassettes my mom threw away when I was growing up? I said, you know what I started doing is I started taking your cassette and then I had this other one, it was called Striper. Remember Striper? And so I would open the Striper cassette, chuck Striper, take the White Snake cassette, put it in the thing and be like, mom, I only listen to Christian music. She didn't know the difference. Just made me sneaky. And it created an environment where as a young person growing and struggling with all sorts of things, just trying to figure out even who I am in life, I didn't feel like I did anywhere safe that I could go because I felt like if I go anywhere and talk about anything I'm dealing with, people are going to say things, mom and dad are going to find out, I'm going to get beat down and in trouble and I just want to deal with it. So I learned how to be sneaky. I didn't learn the gospel. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember ever studying the realities of the gospel, what Christ had done for me. What I felt was a constant burden that I had to do things for him. It gave me a great biblical foundation, taught me all sorts of things, but those were struggles for me. So th there were things that I've learned from my experience growing up that we strive here as a church to do differently by the grace of God, amen? And by the, hey, by the grace of God, I mean, he brought me to where I am in spite of some of those things. So I'm so thankful for Mer Merriman Avenue Baptist Church. They're still serving and worshiping Jesus and teaching the gospel to this day. Praise God for every church that points people to Jesus Christ, amen? Every church. But here's something that they did that was fantastic. And I don't see this anymore. When I was growing up in Asheville, North Carolina, going to this church, and it's not a small community. Asheville's bigger than Medford. No one ever left the church. No one ever left the church. That's the church that I don't, until I went to college, I don't remember ever attending a different church or even thinking about it. And so the people that we went to church, I think of the Garrises and the Ballards and the Woods and all these different families that to this day, I remember by name, love them dearly. We grew up together. 
My friends were their kids. We had lunch together after church. Sizzler was our place of choice in Asheville, North Carolina. Sizzler's changed a lot over the years, hasn't it? Or has our taste? I don't know. But, but, um, but I just remember, like, we did everything together. It, it wasn't just that we went to church, but we were part of these people's lives. Our parties were together. We vacationed together. There was tight community within all sorts of people within that church. And now I look at the modern church, and I'm fully aware, and this is a big deal, granted, Asheville, North Carolina, and Medford, Oregon are really different, okay? I get that, really different. There's something that happens in the West here that I was trying to explain to some pastors from back East that's just different. I mean, the West was even populated originally by people that were like, there's too many people, I'm out of here, I want to be on my own. Like, that's sort of the history of the West in a nutshell, right? So, so... That, that kind of uh, attitude, that sort of uh, mindset is still pretty pervasive in the West, um, even within the church. Um, everything's more, more centered on identity, or not identity, excuse me, on independence. We build houses here in the West. When your house is done, what's the first thing you do? Build a fence. And a tall fence, privacy fence. I don't even want to see the neighbors. I don't even want to look at them. We'll park in the garage and shut the door as quick as we can. Like, oh, it's, it's a completely different mindset than what existed back there. So I do understand that, but in, the church is supposed to be a little different. I mean, throughout the scriptures, there's this constant push towards the idea of, of family, of commitment, of serving one another. The one another's of scripture over and over and over happen here. And we as a church, though we are moving closer and closer to that last day when Christ returns again in glory, we're closer today than we were yesterday. I'm not convinced as a church we're moving closer and closer to what Hebrews says we should be on that day when he does show. I think we're becoming less the community of the church. I think we're becoming more independent. And we, we don't even have to go to church to get good Bible teaching anymore. I mean, on the internet right now are infinitely better Bible teaching than what I'm capable of giving. And so we get our podcasts and our books and our, all that kind of stuff. And we don't, we don't have to do that. And on Facebook, we fool ourselves to thinking we have hundreds or thousands of friends, but we're actually less connected to people than we've ever been in history. Lots of friends, no relationships. That's what's going on in the world and in the church around us. And I've seen this happen in the church. I, I haven't been doing this that long. I've been a pastor around 15 years. I, I have seen, though, this increasingly frequent um, just jumping to separation at the drop of a hat with regards to church fellowship and church family. That we'll, we will separate for anything and at the drop of a hat anymore. There's all sorts of pe- people who say, I'm not going to go to that church anymore because I don't like that pastor. I, I would understand in our case. I, like, I'm, I, I'm with you. I don't like myself half the time either. Like, I, I get that. And so, like, oh, he said something and I'll leave. There are a lot of people. There's some of you. I don't want to step on your toes too much. But look, there's some of you in this room that are one thing Jeff says away from walking out the door and having nothing to do with us ever again. And you're just waiting for it. I might have already said it. In that case, I love you. Good luck. But this is just true. This is just true. 
that's something I've had to learn to live with as a pastor that's really difficult because what, what has been really hard, and you're talking about a relational, people-pleasing guy who grew up with a father who was always frustrated with me and feeling like I had to earn his attention and all that psychology stuff that makes us as kind of jacked up as we are. But, um, but what I've had to learn is that it's difficult sometimes when my friendships with people depend more on what I do up here on the stage than on what I do in our day-to-day lives together. And that there's been a lot of people because of something that got preached that they'll end any relationship with me or my family whatsoever and they're gone and usually without having any idea that even happened. That's hard. But it happens all the time. How many of you, let's keep using the social media thing. How many of you realized someone was mad at you months later because you suddenly realized out of the blue, I think they unfriended me. (laughs) And you had no idea, right? This is what we do. Or, or, or the pastor won't let me do this, or he doesn't like my whatever, or what, the leadership's not putting their stamp of approval on my certain ministry, or whatever the case may be, or I can't go to that church anymore because so-and-so goes there, and I can't stand them. And so I've seen that happen. Man, I love you. There's just some stuff going on. And, and, and we, we're really good at putting the banner of holiness on that. Oh, the Lord's just leading me on. Is he? I mean, look, there's some very valid reasons to leave a church. Some very valid reasons. Um, Especially doctrinal issues, heresy, abuse within churches, all sorts. There are very valid reasons to leave a church. I'm just not sure those are the ones that we tend to use when we leave most often. Because when I see the scripture, I see, for example, relationships as iron sharpens iron. Well, when iron sharpens iron, you take two pieces of iron and start whacking them together, what happens? There's noise. There's abrasion, sparks fly, it gets hot, it gets sharp, it gets edgy, it gets uncomfortable. But in our own relationships, the moment that we have some sort of uh, abrasion with one another, we, we worship comfort. And so we will bail on tension to go find comfort. And then we put that cloak of spirituality on it and go, no, this is the Lord leading me into green fields. I don't think so. Because the scriptures are always talking about being faithful through hard stuff. And so maybe that's what God's doing to, to like sharpen character. Maybe God's trying to grow us up through going through some of these things. And, and I mean, just think about it. Consider what happens when someone maybe leaves the church for what we would consider an unbiblical. Like I'm not talking heresy. I'm not talking about um, abusive leadership or any of those kind of things. I'm talking about something happened at church that offended someone. And they're like, oh, there's tension or, or they're upset with something, whatever it happens to be. And so there's this like, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with that. Or, or maybe it's just like a flirtation. Man, there's something going on. I'm just, I'm not comfortable. It's just, that Jeff just makes me so mad. That Sam's always so loud with his music or whatever the thing is that you're just, uh, and then you go visit somewhere else and you find that the tension that you felt with the church family that you're a part of suddenly doesn't exist that week. And you can be tempted to go, man, this feels right. This feels comfortable. All that tension, the stuff that was in the way before, I don't feel any of that stuff here. I I think the Lord's leading us to come here. Well, of course it feels like no tension because you ain't done nothing there yet. (laughs) You haven't gotten involved. You haven't started serving with people. And a lot of times the junk that we drag around behind us is on a little bit of a a rope. So it's it's coming, it's just a little farther behind. (laughs) Right? And, And so what has happened? Look, this is what people do in marriages. There's tension in my marriage. Maybe I should have never married her. 
Maybe I connected to the wrong one. Oh, I just got a Facebook message from my ex. Oh, I remember him. Yeah, that was when he was in high school and skinny. <laughs> I remember him. I don't feel, he listens to me. I don't feel any of that tension. And so we can really quickly jump out of a relationship of tension. And instead of working through those things to the glory of God and allowing God's grace to change both of us in our life, we can go, I, I'm out of here. I'm on to this new thing. And then you find that some of the junk that it was me, it was me. My, my favorite example of this is people used to remember Saddam Hussein when he was our big bad guy. Um, Saddam Hussein at one point had had over 50 of his own family members executed. And you would think at some point he would go, maybe I should just think about some things. Maybe it's not them. Maybe the, pro maybe the problem is me, but just kept right on going. And, but don't we see, like if you look, a lot of times when someone bails on a relationship and jumps into another, statistically speaking, the divorce rates in those next relationships just continue to grow and grow and grow. Because what we're doing is a lot of times, and if you're remarried, this is, this is not a marriage teaching. I'm just saying that this does happen where we leave relationships when tension comes and and instead of God growing us up as people, we just keep carrying the same junk from one relationship to another relationship for another. And we're looking for a perfection that doesn't exist. And people do it with church all the time. If you want to come to Heritage and look for a reason to leave Heritage, I would be happy to save you some time and show you a list. I mean, I, seriously. But if you think... But if you think that what's out there waiting for you somewhere else is that green grass of perfection in the church, then you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel assures you that we are all broken and we are not relying on our performance or the performance of our leaders at all, but on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to build us up as a church, sharp, or whacking off those sharp edges of rocks and building us into that spiritual temple so that we are a picture of Jesus Christ who says to us, in spite of your failures, I'm sticking with you. In spite of your mess ups, Jeff, I'm not leaving. I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm staying. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And so when we leave at any little um, tension that comes up, when we walk away from difficulties like that without ever having the, um, the guts to like dig in and say, all right, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to go face, I'm going to sit down with this brother like the scriptures call me to do. And we're going to work through some stuff. When you leave, you are cheating yourself out of growing. You're cheating the church out of growing through some of those things. And then we are weakening our ability as a people of God to be a picture, a manifestation of Jesus Christ to the world around because we look just like them. We're only in when we get what we want, but when we don't get what we want, we're out. That's the world. That's not what God designed the church to be. He gave two institutions that he said, these are pictures of the gospel to the world around us. One was marriage and the other was the church. This is what God has called us to. And this is why it's a big deal. And, and we need to understand this individualistic kind of Western attitude towards the church is not biblical. We are not saved into individual salvation. We're saved into a community as part of the body of Christ. And a foot that's been severed and just hanging on its own is not going to exist on its own very long. Sooner or later, it's going to start to get rotten and stink. And this is the reality of our salvation. 
It, when you look into the New Testament, I mean, you, you have to recognize that apart from community, the body of Christ cannot effectively represent itself. There's lots of different gifts and lots of different personalities and lots of different people and all collectively serving together under the banner of grace, desiring God's holiness and desiring to get better. But we are a picture in that community of the gospel to a world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. That's the mission of the church. But when we cut and run all the time, we are failing at that mission. We're cheating ourselves, we're cheating the church, and we're cheating the world around us from those things. Now, especially the family meeting part here, Heritage Family kick in right now, okay? March 2014, the leadership, the, the, the pastors of Heritage here, um, we went to Cannon Beach to a conference center up there to a, um, a, a conference that Western Seminary where I attend was putting together with Alistair Begg. And we got to spend some time up there with Alistair Begg going through Timothy and learning about church leadership. And, and we as a church staff were really blessed to actually get to spend some really kind of, well, there weren't one of us, there was like four of us, but whatever, four on one time, we would say with, uh, with Alistair Begg and just learning from him and coveting his uh, um, Scottish accent and all that kind of stuff. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. But the, the most long-lasting effect of that particular time wasn't anything Alistair Begg did while we were there. It was a little workshop where a guy named Professor Todd Miles, some of you remember him, we brought him down here last year. Um, Todd Miles um, taught this group of pastors there at Cannon Beach, and he taught a specific workshop. It was called Getting Ahead of the Curve, Theological Issues that, affect, that Are Affecting the Church. And the whole point was, hey church, hey pastors, these are things that we see coming. You're gonna have to deal with them and it would be wise of you to, to address these things before they get there, to have an answer ready, um, to not have to call 911, but to be proactive over these issues. And he covered um, historical Adam or claims that we didn't come from a historical Adam, um, exclusivity of Christ, kind of tolerance, like, oh, you Christians are so close-minded because you only believe Jesus is the way. Um, he talked about marijuana legalization. He talked about social justice, issues of social justice. And then the big one there he talked about, and it's, it's going to seem weird in light of this particular topic, but hang with me. He talked about homosexuality and the gay rights movement. And in, these, in each of these topics, they sort of went through, here are challenges that are coming for the church, and here's the things that are at stake in these fights, and here are some things that we believe that the church needs to do to prepare and to better handle this stuff that's headed your way. And so with regards to the homosexual movement, he talked about how the arguments are, hey, Jesus didn't really specifically condemn homosexuality, and, and Paul, those guys, they didn't even understand human sexuality at the time, and, and the Old Testament stuff, that's all old stuff, it doesn't apply anymore, the Bible's outdated, it doesn't reflect popular consensus, all this kind of stuff, which we don't have time to go through each of these topics. Let me make it easy, all of those are wrong, okay? But that, those are the arguments that are coming towards the church. And then he said, here's what's at stake with this. Number one, the groundwork has now been laid for denial of homosexual marriages to be considered a hate crime. This is two years ago. Do we see that things in our culture are increasingly headed towards this? Without question. Without question. Uh, number two, the authority of the Bible is at stake. Because if you start taking things out of the scripture and saying these things don't apply anymore, then how do you hold to anything at that point? Number three, the integrity of the gospel and the mission that we're called to. And then number four, the future autonomy of the church. 
And he said, this includes tax-exempt statuses and the nature of professional and pastoral ministry and all of these things. And we, we talked about, as a group of pastors in that room, um, the fact that our mission as a church could be compromised, hindered, that if things continue to a certain degree where that is full-on considered a hate crime, that what we actually do now for a living could put us in jail. That the, the days of Paul going to prison for his beliefs, our country might be headed towards that. We celebrate Saeed and these guys being relieved or released from prison in Iran, but there's elements of our own culture that seem to be pointing in similar directions. And so he's going, you guys need to think about some of this stuff. We need to have biblical arguments. We need to have biblical answers for these questions that are pointing people back to Jesus, and we need to be prudent. We need to understand the world we live in and we need to take certain steps to protect the mission of our church moving forward. And so they had some actions to consider. And, and by far the biggest one and the primary one was this. He said, churches, you pastors here, if your church doesn't have official church membership programs at your church, you are incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. He, he said, what, what you're doing here is you're an open institution serving any and everyone who comes in, which is what we do desire to do, right? But when it comes to, for example, marriages, if a couple comes to you, a uh, heterosexual, godly couple, we are engaged, we want to get married, will you do our wedding? Yes, I'd love to do that. And then right after that, in comes a homosexual couple, and our beliefs as a church are like, we, we can't put a stamp of approval on this marriage because we believe this violates the gospel, and it's not God's best intention for us. So we, I'm sorry, we love you, and we've, I've done this, just so you know, I've done this. I, I love you, I want to meet with you, I want to be able to talk with you, but I, I can't, in good conscience, do this, I can't do your wedding. He said, well, look, the bottom line is this, you're either open to the public or you're not. And so when you start doing those sorts of things, you are now picking and choosing. This is, he's, he's talking about through the world's eyes, by the way. You're picking and choosing the things that you're going to do and the things that you're not going to do, while the culture is saying you are not allowed to discriminate based on these issues. Well, that's going to put the church in a very difficult position. And we've already seen it happen in Oregon with businesses. We have the cake makers in Portland. Um, I don't know if you know the story on this, but the couple that went there and asked them to bake the cake, they knew it was a Christian company and they knew they would say no. It was planned, it was intentional, because the purpose of that was to get a lawsuit out of it so that they could go to court and they succeeded. Those people are out of business, and now that law now becomes part of precedence, which sets even the future of the church moving forward in a really precarious, difficult situation looking down the road. Because right now, faith-based organizations aren't involved, but what do you do if you're a country that says, I am giving you tax-exempt status, we won't even charge you taxes, we're giving you a break to operate in this vein, but then you come over in the Supreme Courts and all those kind of things and say, but it's illegal to, to pick and choose based on these different criteria, it puts you in a really difficult position. And that's not even talking about moving into areas of hate crime yet. And so this is what they said. And, and just so you know, this is what Professor Miles told us. We came back at his urging and we met with the church's attorney. His name's Greg Abel. Sat down with Greg and said, hey, this is what my professor said. This is what all's going on. Is this for real? I mean, he's just a professor. He's not a legal guy. Is this real? And he said, this is the absolute truth. I am having this meeting with three, four churches a day. 
And here's, or excuse me, a week. And he said, this is the absolute truth. And the example he used, if you're a golfer, you know Augusta National Golf Club, right? What's the big tournament there every year? The Masters. The Masters Golf Tournament. It's one of the most prestigious, oldest golf clubs in the world. And the thing that's special about Augusta National Golf Course, or it's not special, that was uh, a big part of attention was the fact that they didn't forever, they didn't allow women members. And it was a constant, there were protests every time the tournament would come up and all this kind of stuff. Well, eventually they allowed women members to be part of Augusta National Golf Club. But it wasn't because of government pressure. It wasn't because of legal systems. Because in fact, the government intentionally and purposefully stays out of private member organizations that set their own charters, especially when the membership charters are set out front for anyone coming in. I mean, you're not supposed to discriminate based on sexuality or, excuse me, based on male-female in that way for a long, long time, but the government put, they totally stayed out of Augusta National Golf Club. Augusta caved because it was on TV every year. They caved to uh, uh, media pressure, not because of the courts. And he said, what you're going, what every church has to do is get a formal membership together that clearly states your statement of faith, your beliefs, your marriage definition, all of that stuff, and then says, we don't perform weddings unless you're actually a member of the church. Otherwise, you're just picking and choosing and you're incredibly vulnerable, especially if you're sort of the non-denominational fellowship church because you're not actually connected. Like if, if, if someone wanted to go after a church for doing that, they're not gonna go after the Presbyterians because the Presbyterians have a network of churches all throughout the United States. They're gonna go after a church like Heritage. There's a lot of people, there's some pretty good resources. You saw our financial report, we're doing well as a church. But not a whole lot of back. I mean, we have the Acts 29 network that we're a part of now that would jump in for sure. But for a long time, definitely just us. And so our attorney, our law professor, and then other pastors and theologians that we've talked through all over the place were like, you have to do this. Jeff, you, you have to do this. And I'm like, I, I don't want to change like that, man. That's just such a massive shift for us as a church. And, and even our attorney said this. He said, Jeff, no, 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 no. This isn't about heritage changing. This is about the cultures changing. And this is something you have to do as a church to protect what you do so that you do not have to change what you've been doing for the last seven, eight years moving forward. This is about maintaining your hold on the gospel. This is about maintaining the mission that you've been given. And this is about in the fact that everything out there seems to be changing, you will not give on these things you believe and you will continue to minister in the way that you feel called to minister moving forward. That's what this is. And so this is what we were encouraged to do. This is almost two years ago. And so for two years, we've been studying this. We've been looking at this. We've been praying about this, not wanting to, it's just extra work, even frankly, like not wanting to do all this stuff. But more than anything, we're like, okay, whatever we do as a church, it's still got to accomplish the mission God's given us. We don't just want some legal protection, but like anything we do on this level needs to be able to actually further the mission of the gospel or at Heritage, we call it the three E's to exalt the Lord, to equip the saints, and to engage the world around us. So if, if we do this, if we create an actual membership process here at the church, how are we going to do this? What's going to happen? Why should we have church membership? And what we discovered and have come to believe is that a properly defined and led membership program will not only protect the church and allow us to continue what we've been doing for the last seven to eight years, but it will increase our ability to shepherd and serve the actual body at Heritage and help the body of Heritage covenant and commit to one another in a way that better and more accurately reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and allows us to accomplish the mandates in passages such as Hebrews 10 together moving forward. And so through praying these things through, we realize this is what we have to do as a church. But not just that we have to do it from a legal standpoint, but that as we looked at it, and I'm talking about board members who were opposed, studying these things and going, this is actually good for us. In spite of bad examples we may have seen in the past, doing this by the grace of God and according to his word is good for us. So why, why should we do that? Jeff, why? why? Well, the legal option I've already talked about. We, we need legal protection so that we can continue ministering as the world goes ahead because if, if you wait until the laws change, you're stuck. You have to be ahead of the curve on this from a legal standpoint. And we've gotten incredible counsel from very wise biblical men that are saying you have to do this. And we're not the only church doing this. Our friends over at Community Bible Church just did it in December. Um, this is happening all over the place. But number two, it allows opportunity for greater accountability and transparency. Um, what we want to be able to do is use a, a formal membership or covenant member program here at Heritage to have increased accountability and increased transparency with you. So like you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, the financial report that we did and talking about that stuff. Um, was that important to you to know that your church is doing these sorts of things, right? Well, what we want to actually do is be able to do that much more frequently and use the membership program as a way to do that. So that, that the members, I, I can't do that sermon once a quarter, right? That would be so horrible. But to be able to use the membership roster to send quarterly reports so that you guys are continually being updated on the things that are going on at the church. Um, number three, membership would provide avenues of, I can't say this word very well, reciprocity. Is that right? Reciprocity? Here's the bottom line. The, the membership program that, I'm, that we're about to release to you guys today um, has an annual renewal process. Once a year, you get a form, basically says, are you still in? Yeah, I'm in. Sign it, send it back. It's all done. It's nice and easy. With that form would be an actual questionnaire that's being put together that we want to be able to send out every, to everyone that just says, here's how we're doing. Are we serving you? Are we ministering to your needs? Have we failed you in certain areas? Are, are there things at the church that you feel tension with that we can get together and work through these things to the glory of God in a biblical way? Um, are, there, are there needs your family has that might be needs that a lot of families have that we're just not aware of? But to have avenues of feedback, feedback loops, because, I mean, look, I look around this room, like, I don't know the majority of the people in here. Um, and, and, man, the Lord could speak some things to you that we need to know. And so we need to create avenues of increased communication. The new elder board will be part of that, but I believe this would be a, a great tool as well. Number four, it fosters greater pastoral care. And this is the biggest part of the whole thing. We talked last week at great length about the fact that we can't um, properly minister to you guys, meet the needs that you have, shepherd you, look out for you with the, the current leadership structure being the way it is. There have been, there's people in here who have been to the hospital and we never knew, people who have been in financial difficulties that we never knew, all sorts of things that we could have come around and cared for you, loved you, shepherded you um, had we even known. A formal membership program would be a wonderful tool that's going to help us do that better. To be able to take this new, this new board and say, in addition to caring for the flock that comes in general, these are the people who have covenanted with you. Remember last week we talked about the fact that leadership team is coven making covenant with Heritage saying, I'm going to shepherd and care for the church of Jesus Christ. You guys like this. And we laid out what that was going to look like. Well, these now elders are the ones who have covenanted as well with the church as a whole. And so we're going to break these names up. And here's your 10 
10 and here's your 10 or whatever the case may be. And just to have someone that once in a while is going to call you up or send you an email or stop by or check in on you and just say, hey, how are you guys doing? How's your family doing? What's going on? You got a kid graduating soon? Oh, that's great. But just to have some increased personal, attentive care for the things that you're going through. I mean, and you can see some of it. It is helpful, and I, I even see it in Christ's example. It's important that the leaders of the church know exactly who it is they're actually accountable for. Like as a leader, as a pastor, I'm held accountable. I will stand before God one day and give account for the people that he has put into my care. But in our day and age, how do I know who that is? Like, like, what are the frameworks on that? I mean, especially in this valley, we've got so many great churches that there is a lot of kind of church hopping that goes around. We're here right now, we're there right now, all that. How do I know the people that I am supposed to? Like, if someone's not here and they're gone for a while, should I chase after them? Well, how, were, were they actually here at Heritage or were they just checking it out? Or how long were they here? Do we only chase after those who give? Is that what we look for to see if they're actually um, committed to the church and part of the church body? Because biblically speaking, we see Jesus talking about how the sheep know his name and he knows who his are. We see about the, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go to the one. Like we see these mandates, but in our day and age, it's getting harder and harder and harder to determine who are these ones that I'm actually um, absolutely, like if that guy falls through the cracks, that's on me. Like it's hard to find that. And so that's a very, membership can be an incredibly valuable tool to help the pastors because in the church, there's three different groups or four different groups in here. There's the sheep, the committed Christians. There's the possible sheep. They're not believers, they're here, they're learning, they're listening. And then there's the wolves. Did I say four? There's three. Sometimes there's wolves. Sometimes there's people like those with the cake baking shop who are just looking for that place that they can come in with their own kind of agenda and their own sort of um, thing. And either, as the scripture said in Timothy, take advantage of people who don't understand their theology, people who are weak. But we as leaders are called to shepherd you and look out for you. And it's very difficult to do in our cultural climate because there's a lot of times that we find out someone left. They've been gone for three weeks. We never knew they left and we didn't even know they went here to begin with. And it becomes hard. And so membership is a tool for the leaders, giving us as leaders and pastors really clear direction on the people that we are absolutely accountable for. Doesn't mean we don't care for anyone that's not on that list, but it means we are absolutely accountable for those who are. And then number five, and this is what we've been teaching about really, why should we have church membership? Because it promotes unity and commitment to one another. This idea of how soon we separate and leave, we're going somewhere just as long as we feel like it. Church is like a restaurant. We go there for Italian food. We go there for pizza. We used to go there for steak, but the service isn't any good anymore, so we don't go there. Like that kind of mentality towards the church is not healthy. It doesn't grow you. It doesn't grow the church. It doesn't grow us. It's not healthy. And in the case where the Bible, as I said, has given us two institutions that are pictures of the gospel to the world, we have marriage and the church. And in marriage, don't we incredibly emphasize the covenant? Like you have made a promise to one another. You've given your word before God, but we treat church anymore completely differently. It's like, ah, oh, we're just sort of here. Biblically speaking, we see a constant pattern throughout the scriptures where God makes covenant with his people. And so as we grow more and more like God, this is a biblical pattern that is healthy and good for us to say to one another, I'm in covenant now with you. The membership covenant that we've put together here is the leaders making covenant with the church 
and the church making covenant, not with the leaders per se, but with the church to say, I'm in, I'm with you, I support you, I love you. I'm, I'm coveting to say, if we have an issue, we're gonna go through the hard part of working out to one another. I'm gonna support what's going on here, I'm gonna love one another, and I'm gonna make covenant to this body because this is the body of Christ that I'm part of, this specific local church. Now, I am fully aware that there's all sorts of questions and things that come up with that. Um, I've talked to a whole lot of people. There's five super quick ones that, I, that are, are the most common. I'm gonna have to go through them really fast, but I'm gonna be available to talk with some of you guys afterwards and for forever, I guess, really. But um, number one, Jeff, why, the church has been doing fine. Like, why do you have to get so organized? This feels corporate. It's not organic. This isn't like um, the early church and the meeting in the homes and all that kind of stuff. Why do we have to do this? And my answer to that would be, I think we're really idealistic about how we choose to think about the early church. It's based a lot more on ideas of what it might have been like and a lot less on reality. Um, Because from the very first day that Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 people got saved, which means they counted them. And then from that moment on, what are the early church, the apostles doing forever after that? They're building structure, planting churches, putting people in charge of leadership to do ministry work and putting order into this, what you could, I guess, say organic thing that is growing and growing and growing. So when you look into church history, even the concept of membership and knowing whom you're covenanted to goes way back. So there's this false dichotomy we talked about, the idea that, that being organized, and this is number two, but what happened to being spirit-led, Jeff? What happened to just let the Holy Spirit lead? Man, the culture and all that. So I understand, but the, God is our defender. He'll take care of us. Just be spirit-led. Well, that's a false dichotomy as well because administration is a gifting of the Holy Spirit to the church. So there are people who are gifted in ruling, organizing, governing, building, those sorts of things. That is a spirit, Holy Spirit-given gift to men in the church to help build the organization, if you will. I know it's a dirty word in churches sometimes, but it's, that's what God has given those men to us to do these sorts of things, to protect the church. And we would never do this with things like insurance, right? No, oh, we don't need insurance. We'll be spirit-led. We'll let the Lord just protect us. We don't, need, we don't need security for our kid's wing. I know there's wolves out there, but we will trust the Lord. Absolutely not. We would not do this. And church membership is no different. It is an opportunity or, or the way that we be, and I, I would say this right now, we have prayed about this for two years. We are at Heritage being led by the Holy Spirit to do this. We are. And so organizing is not an anti-spiritual thing. We talked about that two weeks ago. Number three, why do we need this extra layer? Like now I gotta go through it. I got saved, now I gotta do something else. And let me make this really, really clear. This is not a salvation issue. You are saved by grace through the work of Jesus Christ and that alone. You being part of heritage as a formal member or not has no bearing whatsoever on whether you will ever stand in heaven with Jesus, ever. This is not a salvation issue. This is a stewardship issue. This is the leaders needing the necessary tools to better serve you, and especially in light of failings that we've had to do this recently. And this is an issue for you to steward one another and the resources that God has given us here in the church. That's what this is. Number four, and here's a big one, okay? So does this mean that only people who are in the club get stuff. 
Like, you're not going to visit anybody in the hospital if they're not a member. Like, so-and-so's in the hospital. Oh, I'm busy today. Let's see. Are they on the list? Whew, they're not on the list. All right, let's go snowboarding. Like, it, that's, that's just not true. That's just not, it's, it's, it'd be completely unbiblical. And there's probably churches that have done that, unfortunately. Totally unbiblical. We, uh, part of our, our mission statement is to engage the whole world around us, not just the church body here. So that has no effect on our ability. So if you're just like, I'm not in, or I want to I see how it plays out for a while, or whatever, we're not going to start checking membership cards at the door. You know, there's no secret handshake yet. <clears throat> you know, we're not getting badges or any of that jump, jumpsuits and Kool-Aid. There's n- none of that stuff. That, that's not what's going on. We will still do the best that we can to serve everyone that God brings our way to the very best of our ability. But we are making a specific covenant with those that are covenanting with us to say, no, in no circumstances are we, um, there's no excuse for our failure in these areas. We're committed to you and you're committed to us as a whole. And we're going to go through life together in these things. That's what this is. And then finally this, and by the way, there was a great example of this. Uh, Pastor Sam was talking to someone from, I can't remember, it was a wife's, grandmother's, something, Sam, I don't remember who it was, but, but was talking to her and there's a lady who was significantly older than him and she was a member of a local church and, and she made the comment like, I love being a member of a church. By joining the church, I, what I know that brings me great comfort is I know that I know that I know that someone's gonna look out for me and take care of me, that my name's on a list. Someone's going to make sure. So that's what we're talking about. We're not going to stop serving you. If you're here and you're not a member and you're singing during worship, we're not going to come around and put earmuffs on you. You don't get to listen to the music. You have to say, <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing any, any of that. That's not the idea at all. And then there's this one. This one's really serious. I've been part of a bad membership before, Jeff. Jeff, I've been part of churches that had membership and the membership was, well, they were beaten, man. Like the membership roster was used to control us, to make sure you didn't give what? To knock on our doors and say, why weren't you here last week? To control, to beat down, to manipulate, to abuse. And let me tell you, I am fully aware of some of your specific stories in this very room. I am absolutely aware of that. My heart breaks with you. And I think in our conversations, I I hope that you understand our heart towards that could not be further from that. This is not about increasing control at Heritage. This is about we need to protect the mission God's given us. And then we as leaders want to do a better job serving the people at Heritage. And then finally, that we want the people at Heritage to be more committed to one another. That as Hebrews says, as we get closer and closer and closer to that day, that we would be a better example of the church. And so this is why we believe, and I'm sure you have other questions. I'm going to be available outside after service and would love to engage with you on those things. But, but this is why we have now decided to do this. You say, so how, so how do I become a member? Two of you might be thinking. Um, <laughs> number one, you need to be saved. And, and that's, not just a, that's not just like our rule. That's the biblical rule. You are born again into the church of Christ. So you need to be saved. You need to be baptized into the church. So in joining, you either have been baptized or you're signing up for baptism in that moment to be baptized into the church of Christ. There's biblical reasons for that. Um, Number three, we would like those who become members at Heritage to have been here for six months. And and that's not just like a, so you can show that you're worthy. It's It's just so you understand who we are. 
Because I would hate for someone to go through all the process of like, I'm going to become a member. And then a month later, you're like, oh, you're what? Ooh, I didn't know that. I'm out. Like, that, that's not the goal. I, we want to get to know you, but more than anything, we want you to get to know us. So once every six months, there'll be a Heritage Basics class held over at the Hub on a Saturday or something or a Sunday after church. And we'll just spend a couple of hours together going through the church history, doctrine, leadership, all of those sorts of things. So that anyone coming in is always six months away from one of those classes where they can come in and learn what we're all about and decide if they even want a covenant with a group of people like us. Because we can be a little weird. And so, so there's that. That's what we're looking for. And then, then should you meet those, I hate saying it that way, but those criteria, should you been through those steps, you're ready to join the church, we're actually going to be, um, and by the way, that, that, six, that membership class, um, you're in it right now, by the way, um, for, the, for the initial unveiling, this series that we've been doing um, is kind of the, uh, um, the kickstarter, if you will. So our, our first class like that won't happen until after Easter, but today, as you're leaving, there's going to be men handing out at the door, and then me and some of the pastors and elders will be at a table, and they're there we have copies of the brand new Heritage Christian Fellowship Membership Covenant, um, as well as the last page on that is a quote-unquote application, name, phone number, you signing off on those things, understanding our doctrine, whatever the case may be. And if you, what, this is what we want you to do. We want you to take that thing home and we want you to just pray. We, we, we want, I don't want you to take this lightly. If you're like, I don't know, then don't, honestly. Keep coming, keep hanging out with us. You're welcome to be here, but but. I think this is serious. There, there should be some sort of gravity to you making a covenant in the church just like you do in a marriage. And you're covenanting to say, I'm going to work through whatever comes up in life. And we are very serious about our desire and commitment to use this process to be even better shepherds and better servants to the people. So I want you to take that home, read it, pray with it. And then every adult, it's not just per family, it's an individual thing. Every adult who is saying, I, I'm in, Jeff. I love this church. I love what the Lord's doing here. I want to covenant better with people. I want to be a part of this thing. Then the back page, you pull off, you sign your little deal. There's an envelope that's attached and you mail it back to us and we're going to get running with this and let's just see what the Lord does. And we believe totally that because of this process, the church will be protected moving forward from a legal standpoint, that we as shepherds will be better equipped to serve you and minister to you and care for you in a way that we've never been able to before. And that as well, that it's just good for you. It's just good for us because still after all of that, I'm sure he still comes back around, but Jeff, why? Why? Why, why all of this? Because this is good for us. Let me, let me put this last quote up here. Could you guys put this up? This is a guy who was writing about church membership from a church down in Texas. And interestingly enough, his name's Ralph Neighbor, which I thought was awesome. And here's what he said. The individualism that pervades American society perceives the world in relation to me rather than to us. Evangelical Christians have a great concern for personal salvation, but we've been particularly prone to lose sight of the corporate dimensions of New Testament Christianity. Pure basic faith never ends up as rugged individualism. Rather, it ends up living in a community where I am responsible to and for my brother and where I recognize I can never have salvation from the power of sin in this world if I live apart from the community of God's people. Guys, 
We need community. Community is what God uses to grow us into his image. Community is what he uses to to help in addition to his word and the power of his Holy Spirit to help us find freedom from sin, accountability, service. And in our community, one to another, we are an increasingly important and clear picture of the kingdom of God to a world that desperately needs it. So as your pastor here, Heritage Family, I'm urging you and pleading with you, covenant with us. Because we are ready to covenant with you. And I know we're sticking our necks out on the line a little bit too. To, to say, look, we are going to serve you to the best of our ability. And we want to covenant with you for these things to the glory of God. Not so that Heritage has some big roster. I'm actually, um, I mean, we'll see what the results of any of this are. It doesn't even necessarily matter. This isn't about building the organization, increasing Jeff or the pastor's control. This is about, we see these things biblically. We see the culture that we're in. And we see that as we grow, it's increasingly difficult to do all of the one another's and the let us's of the scriptures. But when I look here in the book of Hebrews and I read through, I see over and over and over, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and since we have a great priest over the house, let us draw near with a true heart, with our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed. Let us hold fast the confession, our hope, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up over and over and over in the scriptures. We are, whether you want to be part of it or not, we are saved into the body of Christ. And as a church, we're healthy, but we want to be healthy. We don't want to just be disease-free, but we want to be able to run the race that God has put before us to the greater degree, the greatest degree that we can. And by the prompting and leading of the Spirit and careful prayer and research, we believe this is kind of just the next thing for Heritage. If you're not in, see you next Sunday anyway. Love you dearly love you dearly, and we'll still be serving you to the best of our ability as well. But this is a new and added tool that is going to enable us to better care for the church of the flock. So just, if nothing else, know this. No part of this is power-driven or control. The heart behind all of this is the fact that we, the leadership of this church, we love you. And we are more and more and more aware as we've grown as a church that we keep failing over and over trying to do these things without a lot of organizational structure and without enough help. And we want to do better. We love you. We want our church to be healthy and healthier. So our encouragement is this. Pray about this. If you have some questions, please come grab me and let's talk about this. But in the end, no matter what we choose, may we at least be able to agree on this one, church. We want to be a better example of Jesus Christ at the end of the year than we were at the beginning of the year. Amen? We want to be closer to God at the end of the year than we were at the beginning of the year. Amen? We want to be more holy at the end of the year than we were at the beginning of the year. Amen? Because at the end of the year, we're going to be a whole lot closer to Jesus' return than we were at the beginning. And he's worthy of this. He's worthy of our commitment. He's worthy of our covenant. He's worthy of our time and attention. And in the end, that's what we're all about. Let's make Jesus's name known. Will you stand and pray with me? God, will you just bless, Lord, even this last song in worship me. There's lots of things to think about, lots of things organizationally as a church that we're doing, but the one thing that can never change is we are to be a people of the book who point to you, Jesus. So Lord, we desire to be more like you, more committed to one another, a better servant to one another. 
more holy like you, more unified like you, and have a greater impact for the gospel in the world around us than we ever have. So Lord, may you continue to lead your church. May you continue to minister to your church body. And may you continue to grow heritage, not for our own sake, but because we are your heritage. We are, Lord, we carry your name. We are your lineage. We are your children. And we need to tell more and more people about our good and loving Father. In Jesus' name, let's worship.